ladies and gentlemen, welcome to VUX World, the voice user experience podcast. This is episode number two, and I am super excited to introduce our first guest of the show. Indeed, we're going to be speaking today with Sam Howard. Sam is a co-founder and director of Userify, which is a user research agency that specializes in user testing. Sam has a PhD in human-computer interaction, so if there's anybody who knows about how people interact with technology, it is this guy. Super excited to have Sam on the show, and we're going to be discussing today how to go about user testing voice-first devices and voice-first apps. So if you're an Alexa skill developer, or you're a Google Home app developer, or you're developing any kind of voice user interface that requires a human to speak at something, and have that thing do something in return. This is going to be a really valuable episode for you. We're going to be talking about the setup that you need to do this kind of testing, some of the equipment that you might need, some of the techniques that you'll use, some of the challenges that come with that as well, and how to go about doing it from start to finish within the project. Um, It's going to be a super, super exciting episode. I can't wait to speak to Sam. So without further ado, here is Sam. So, Sam, welcome to the VUX World Podcast. Thank you very much. Good to be here. You are the first guest, so I'm very honoured uh, for you to put the time aside to talk to me today. Very much appreciated. Absolutely no problem. It's my last thing before Christmas, so a nice way to round off the year. Yeah, nice, nice. So, Userify, do you want to tell us a bit about yourself and, and a bit about Userify before we get started into, yeah. the, uh, into the detail? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so uh, Userify has been going since April uh, of this year. Before that, I so I've been in Nottingham for eight years now. Did a degree in psychology followed by a PhD. Uh, PhD was more digital. It was around human-computer interaction uh, and kind of user experience type stuff, but from a more academic background. So that stuff kind of comes under stuff like human factors as well when you're in that industry. Um, so did that and knew that when I left my PhD I wanted to go into user experience research, into user research. So we set up Userify, I set up Userify with my co-founder Phil Randall who's uh, does all of the business side of it really. He has he previously uh, set up a digital agency uh, which he ran successfully for 14 years and sold in 2015. We came together in June of 2016 and started talking about this idea of setting up a purely user research agency. Um, and that's what we did in April of this year. We, yeah, we've been, we've been going since then. It's been going really well. And it, it works really well, actually, because I do all of the research side and Phil has complete control of the, the business side. He runs that side. And we work really well together, actually. It, it's, it works really well as a partnership. And we've learned a lot from each other. And uh, it's uh, it's really great to have two different perspectives which really complement each other. So we've been we've been really happy with how it's gone so far, um, and looking forward to going into 2018 and seeing where the next year takes us. Really, yeah, fantastic. So how did how did you get into the whole user research thing then? Yeah, so I mean from. It all started from psychology, really, because a lot of the the methods, the research methods that are fundamental to psychology are what are used in user research, um, both quantitative and qualitative, and understanding how to uh, obtain and record and capture reliable data and learning how to set up research so that you're not... uh, creating biases and you're not going to jump to uh, incorrect conclusions and just that's that's basically what psychology is at the at the end of the day um, so I really like that I like designing research and I've always also absolutely loved technology so I was really kind of wanting to combine those two things uh, and it was around the time when UX and US UX research really started to you know gain some notoriety and start becoming a big thing 
So, I mean, my PhD, I, I, I did that in, in, as I say, human factors, user research type stuff, and got some experience at a, uh, a user research agency um, for, for, for a couple of months. And then came out of the PhD and thought, look, this is an area I really, really want to work in. I love technology. I love doing research. So it's a, it's kind of the perfect fit. So it's, it's great to be in a situation where I'm not just doing that, but it's you know setting up a company at the same time and doing yeah. it in exactly the way that I want to do it. Um, yeah. So it's, it's been fantastic, really. Fantastic. And not just um, any old PhD, by the looks of things here, I've, I've done my research, Sam, don't worry. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> the, the, the youngest person on the course, was it? And the quickest yeah. to complete it? Yeah, a bit of a claim to fame. Uh, yeah, when I, when I started the PhD, it was like so overwhelming for me because everyone else was uh, seemed so much more experienced. I, I'd come directly from my degree. Um, I had applied for the PhD and hadn't been too optimistic about getting a place, did get a place, then turned up and thought, you know, like this imposter syndrome that you hear people <laughs> yeah. talking about quite a lot. Yeah. It was very much a case of that. I thought, <laughs> oh, my God, uh, should I actually be here? Has there been some sort of mistake? Uh and yeah, like everyone had done masters or had had a couple of years in industry, whereas I was coming into it, as I say, just from my degree. So it was a real steep learning curve. But um, I think I a lot of people who do a PhD are very much kind of just just love spending time in academia and doing research and it's kind of like a lifestyle whereas I very much saw it as a platform for something else so was very motivated to kind of get it done and then get out there and get on with what I really wanted to do so uh, for whatever reason it just it just worked out that I, I, I you know I worked really hard and I yeah I was the youngest and 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 the quickest which is something that I had to like confirm with the, the people I had to get them to look back over the records because I had a feeling I was there and yeah. I was so wow. yeah it's a bit of a, a claim to fame fantastic that is fantastic so Userfy has been going since 2016 did you say uh, so it, we had initial conversations about it, but I didn't finish my PhD until September. Submitted my thesis in September, passed my Viva, which is the, the final annual assessment. Um, passed that in end of October. So I, I, I didn't want to go straight from eight years of university into starting a business because I knew that I would just burn out. So I spent a couple of months uh, traveling with my girlfriend at the start of 2017 and then came back feeling really fresh and ready to take it on uh, in April. So we have, we kind of officially launched as a business in April yeah. of 2017. And it's purely user research and that's that's what it specializes in, is that right? Yeah, and it's even more granular than that almost because uh, we, we really decided to focus in on user testing, um, which is almost a, a subsection of user research. Uh, we we spent a lot of time thinking about exactly how to pitch the business and what we found was that user research is the kind of thing where you can do all sorts and it can really vary in the methods that you're using and that's absolutely fine from my perspective because as a researcher I know I can do all of those things but when you're going and you're speaking to clients and you're speaking to businesses and you go with this very broad spectrum of things that you can do for people who aren't involved in research and academia, that can be quite overwhelming and it can be quite hard for them to understand the benefits. Yeah. So we spent a lot of time thinking about, well, how do we make this something that is going to really appeal to people and is going to provide them with the most benefit? And we we, we figured that the, the thing that a lot of people talk about and there's a lot of focus on is user testing. And we decided that providing a, a, a facility, a, a service, which is to use a test, um, people's products, people's solutions, um, and do that in a really, you know, a really good way, which is, you know, I will, I, at the moment, where, as you know, we've only been going for... Uh, however many months it's been um, I, I'm in charge of planning running and analysing and reporting back all of that um, and it just means that we can do it in a really high quality way um, which like it's amazing how much more you can get from user testing when you really know kind of 
what what you need to do because I think a lot of the time it's undervalued how important it is to really think about you know the planning of the research the way you're going to um, the, the tasks that you're going to ask users to do and um, the users that you're going to recruit is really important as well um, there's there's all sorts of things around you know should you be re- recruiting people who have got previous experience with your product or should it be people who've never experienced it before um, and then also the way you analyze it and interpret those results is really important and if it's the client themselves doing that there's a lot of biases that can happen because um, they're, they're going to be they're naturally going to be looking for particular things whereas we come in as a independent company an independent research agency and we can uh, look at it completely objectively and uh, really dig into you know what users are actually experiencing yeah yeah you, you can kind of um find out what what you specifically want to know if you're kind of in control of doing your own research on your own product yeah yeah like, i mean it's it's really really important to encourage uh clients to and you know companies to do their own user research like it's far better to do that than not to do it but at the same time it's also incredibly valuable for like the design team and the development team and people who have a real uh you know stake in that that product that solution to step away and let someone else have a look at it and to, to test it with people. And it's amazing how that can completely uh, bring up things that never would have been anticipated or never would have been predicted mm. and can provide incredible value. Mm. And never um, would have been noticed either because sometimes you can gloss over some stuff if you're not really paying particular attention, whereas an independent look on it will presumably pick absolutely. up all of because, those Absolutely. Because you know, when you're... When you, focusing and working on something for you know months on end uh, you build up so much uh, background knowledge and background context about that product and when you test someone who has absolutely none of that knowledge has none of that background context at all they're just you know they're, they're seeing this thing for the very first time um, it's it can be fascinating to see what their understanding and their perception of it is so we, we repeatedly find when we're, we're doing this user testing that uh, people just, you can never predict what users are going to come up with, what they're going to, what they're going to, you know, what their understanding is going to be, what they're, where they're going to have trouble or where they're going to um, do things that you weren't expecting or weren't intending for them to be doing. Um, so that's, that's, it's quite tricky actually, because as a, as a researcher, um, you know, we, we get projects and you, th- you try and think about, you know, what are we going to be able to get out of this? But one of the problems is that often we don't know and it's good that we don't know because we're going into it without assumptions and we're testing people and the things that come out of it are things that, that are, are new. So it's, it's, it's quite an interesting challenge but luckily, um, I mean all of the projects that we've done we've, we've found that same thing that it's just been super valuable and we've, we've found things that are completely new and completely just really powerful for, for the, the client. Fantastic. So you, you've obviously got quite a lot of experience in, in the user research and user testing area in terms of, is it websites and stuff that you predominantly test and what, what's kind of led you down to the kind of voice first usability testing route? Yeah, so I mean, we, we actually do a lot of work on prototypes um, at the moment, uh, mainly for websites, um, but we're finding that that's a really, really valuable time to do this kind of work. Um, so we've, we've, we have done apps, but websites, I'd say, are predominantly what we focus on. And as I say, it varies between whether we're testing existing stuff or whether we're testing new stuff. Um, some, some of the things we've done are brand new websites where we're testing the very first prototypes in Envision. And that can be really, really interesting, actually. Um, but in terms of voice first, um, I mean, I mentioned earlier that I've, I've just always loved technology. Um, it's you know I mean one of the things that I've found working in this industry is that there's, there's there's people who who work in this industry and they don't they don't seem to share the same uh, like personal enthusiasm that that I have just for gadgets and stuff like I just love like phones and uh, Apple products yeah, and yeah, I just yeah. I just love gadgets so I've all I've like 
voice voice first and voice assistance is something that I've obviously I've had an interest in ever since I, I think the first time I can remember anything like it was when uh, one of my friends got I think it was the iPhone 4S which was the first phone that has Siri on it mm. uh, that was my first exposure to it and I've had an interest in it ever since um, I'm the sort of person that friends and family will ask you know f- for my opinion on whether they should buy new tech or something like that so I think I can remember a couple of years ago when Alexa the Amazon Echo first came out my dad said to me oh should I is this like is will this be good it's something I'd quite like to buy and I I remember saying to him I I don't know I think it's not as good as you know it's being made out to be I think Mm. it's still quite limited technology Mm. Um, but then over the last year or so I've heard a lot of people talking about how uh, kind of Alexa or Google Home or whatever it is, um, they are finding a lot of use for it in their lives. Um, so, I mean, I got one myself and became really interested in it, but did find that, as I'd kind of suspected originally, it is still quite a limited technology. And the way that companies like Amazon and Google and Apple pitch these things doesn't necessarily match up at the moment with what people actually use them for and what they're they're capable of doing. But um, that is really interesting in itself, and that's kind of where I became interested in the user research side of these things, because I think that over the coming years, there's going to be a lot of work in looking at how these things are actually being used and you know the, the real use cases for these things and how we make sure they are things that uh, people actually can use in their everyday life and aren't just a novelty that people you know ask some jokes to and do a couple of bits and pieces with but never properly uh you know like how your you, you know your your phone is an essential part of your life these days it, it it's something that people really rely on and i don't feel like we're at that point yet a lot of the time with voice first stuff but inevitably it is going to become more and more integrated with our with our everyday lives mm. so is it a case of kind of I suppose, well, I, to be honest, I don't think I've come across any agencies so far who are, who are specifically pitching themselves as a place who will test the kind of the voice user interfaces on behalf of clients. So is that a kind of conscious move to try and get into a space that you've obviously identified as something that's going to be growing in the future? Yeah, I mean, we, we, we've spoken to a couple of clients who are really interested in it. Um, but there's a lot of uncertainty at the moment for how to properly leverage it. Um, but I think for the moment, we're just interested in learning how to best do user testing with this type of technology. Obviously, it's different to doing user testing with a website or an application or something visual like that. Um, so in terms of you know it being something to win us work, it's not something that is... Uh, you know that's not really the reason we've done it at the moment it's more of a uh, a curiosity and wanting to as a as a you know purely user research agency wanting to be at the forefront of thinking about how how that translates into new kind of modes of technology that you know that are coming out mm. like voice first mm. so you mentioned um that there's a bit of a potential mismatch between what these devices can actually do versus what people can expect well it will expect them to do have you found the same from from the client side in terms of people within the business who might expect it to be able to do other things for the business than it currently can do yeah i mean i think just overall there's this i mean particularly at christmas the just so many adverts from companies like Amazon and Google that are really pushing for these things to be things that are that are in people's home and that have uh, uh, effectively, like to me, they're being pitched almost as a AI like voice assistant that is going to be this personal assistant which can help you like with everyday tasks and will be a a, a, a thing that supports you throughout your day and that in users and in you know in clients as well when and business owners where maybe they've uh, they've got a vague understanding of this technology but are currently thinking about you know how can we how can we use this um it creates this this mismatch where people 
think that this is something that is, as I say, this really sophisticated, intelligent thing which can replicate human conversation. Um, when in reality we're not there yet with it, um, you know. For, for for to me, for for Amazon Alexa, for Google Home to become that, it it requires a level of AI where you are it effectively has to have a consciousness. It it, it we it, until we get to a point where AI, you know, we have we have created that kind of thing. It's incredibly hard to. Uh, replicate human conversation and at the moment we're still at a point where you ask Alexa one question and then if you want to follow that up with another question uh, and you haven't said Alexa it 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 often just has no idea what you're even talking about and it, it, it treats it as a completely different uh, completely different question and doesn't doesn't appreciate the conversation flows and it's it you know, one thing flows from another. It's very much segmented, um, and that really limits the the conversation that you can have with something like this. Um, and so, it's that that there is currently a mismatch, and it's not helped by the fact that the big companies are really pushing for this and are pitching it as this fantastic thing. And that is very much just a way of getting it into people's homes and getting people buying into it. And that, you know, that is how things like this will develop quicker and that will accelerate it. And it'll be a good way to understand how people are actually going to use this stuff um, because use cases will develop. Um, but we're, we're still at the, the very start, I think, of this technology and where this technology could go. Yeah. I think I don't know if you've seen the the um, Alexa for work Alexa business um, launch that happened a few months back, and it's kind of exactly what you were saying there in terms of what it's pitched as. Um, and somebody kind of you know they'll walk into a meeting room, they'll give a presentation, and they'll say Alexa, pull up those slides from Thursday, and then it'll just show on the screen, and then they'll walk into a meeting room, and it's like this one's booked, and it's like okay Alexa, book me another one next door or something like that, and it does look. On the face of it, there's another one called Oracle, which which again looks looks really good, um, and it looks completely seamless. I suppose there's a question there in terms of how easy that is to get set up, and how and whether it will work that seamlessly in practice. Yeah, yeah, um, it's you know, it's just I think this is this is as I say, this is how they're going to get this technology out there, um, and it's just going to be a case of. People are going to be a bit disappointed with it to start off with, but once those devices become something that is kind of ubiquitous in in society and people have it in their homes, it's in people's works. Um, that is how you accelerate the the, the development of this thing um, and work out uh, in retrospect how how we make it something which is going to really benefit people. Mm-hmm. Cool. So in terms of the the user testing side of stuff, then. I've- of, with the, with planning the podcast and stuff, I've kind of come across a lot of case studies and developers and VUI designers and stuff like that who've been kind of, um, I suppose, riding that breaking wave of the, the voice first kind of thing that's been really prevalent throughout 2017. However, I haven't really come across a great deal of testing in terms of usability testing. I've seen a lot of technical testing and automated testing to make sure that the the accords running fine. Not a great deal of of actual usability testing. So if somebody's approaching a VUI project or a voice first project, why then should they be testing what they're doing before they actually go ahead and put it into Alexa skill store or Google home or whatever? Yeah, so I think that I, I, I completely agree. I have seen very little out there about how you use a test a, a VUI project. Um, so it's a very, very new thing. And the, the justification for user testing something like this is it's exactly the same justification as why you should be user testing a, a website or an application or a piece of software because if you get to the end point of you're, you're pushing this to the Alexa skill store or you're, you're, you're pushing this out to real users and it's 
not used in the way that you're intending and people are having problems that you haven't predicted or haven't accounted for, then that is going to severely affect how much people are actually going to use this. And if people try it and uh, don't find it to be what they're they're looking for or what they're, they're after, then they're very quickly going to not use it. I think I saw a stat that um, at the moment Alexa... Uh, the third-party skills, or I can't remember what the what they're called, but the the, the skills that you that you can download off the Alexa the Alexa um, skill store. Um, I think it's only about three percent at the moment that are being used uh, af- two weeks after they've been right. downloaded. Wow! So at the moment there is a real, you know, there's this I can't remember the number, but there's a, there's actually a surprising amount of skills that are available on Alexa. Mm. But there's a there's a huge problem at the moment with the, they're just not being used. Right. So, do you um, think, sorry, go on. No, go ahead. Uh, do, you, do you think that might be down to something like that? In that some of them are just being pushed straight ahead into the the skills star and they're not actually being tested. Yeah, I think that you know. One of the things that user testing could really show you, particularly if you're getting in users who are representative of the types of people that you're looking to target, um, it's not just about testing usability. It can also tell you, is this something people actually want? Is this something people are realistically going to use? Like, how are they going to use this? Um, and that's obviously incredibly important information and could save you a lot of time if you're busy building this skill that isn't actually going to provide much benefit or isn't going to be used and I imagine that that's part of it I think part of it will be that um, I'm not sure how I think additional skills um, for Alexa it's a it's kind of difficult in, from a kind of discoverability point of view um, for people who put an Alexa in their home um, you can use that without ever kind of accessing the Alexa app on your phone and that is how you access these third-party skills and download those and install those and um, you know that's that's maybe not the optimum way and I don't know what the the how you'd overcome that that's probably one of the challenges with this um, that the way you actually access new skills and new apps for these kinds of things requires you to use a different type of technology um, it's you know through a secondary source, um, so imagine that's got part part of the part of the reason behind it potentially, um, and I think it's it's just partly because people are still working out what to use these things for. I think um, the recent statistics show that people use it for music. I think that's why Apple has chosen to really focus on that with their their HomePod. I think they've you know clocked onto the fact that there's. There's, there's limitations to this at the moment, but people do seem to, to like it for music. So if they make that the primary uh, the primary function of theirs, that kind of protects them a bit from, from that. Um, but it's, yeah, it, it, it seems to be music. It seems to be people using the kitchen sometimes to set a timer or, or that sort of thing. Um, but working out how to integrate it with other services that they use, um, maybe apps that they have on their phone, working out how to translate that so they also use those products via voice um, is still very unknown. Yeah, yeah. That's true. I was I was reading something about the Apple HomePod being delayed uh, in terms of its shipment and stuff like that. And, and with the iPhone X coming out recently, I also stumbled across something that was saying that the reason why they took uh, so long to, to get onto the OLED screen displays is because they were uncertain about the actual technology and the the production of them screens. Uh, how, how true that is, I don't know, but it kind of fits with, with what you were saying in terms of them playing it kind of safe in, so, in terms of looking at a speaker as opposed to a smart speaker as Absolutely. such. Absolutely. Yeah, I think Apple, Apple really do do that these days. Um, they, they tend to push out things that, that work incredibly well, um, but tend to leave the more discovery phase of this kind of technology for companies like Google, Amazon, Samsung. The Android phones tend to have uh, technology and new innovative kinds of technology far sooner than a lot of the Apple products do. I mean, you look at Face ID, that's worked incredibly well, it seems like. People seem to be really, really impressed with Face ID. It's something that Samsung have been doing 
uh, or trying to do for many years um, and have never really nailed it. Um, but Apple have clearly kind of waited until they're at a point where they're, they're, they're happy to, to jump into that, that world. And it's, it's probably a similar case with, with the HomePod. Um, they'll, be, they'll be playing it safe and gradually um, moving with the industry, I think. Mm-hmm. Going back to the, the user testing then, um, what, what, is the, what is the process for testing a, a voice-first kind of device? How would you approach that project? Yeah. Yeah, that's the big question, really, and there's, it's surprisingly uh, similar. So some of the fundamental differences are you aren't testing anything visual. Um, so you're, the way you capture the session is going to be different. You're not going to be relying on stuff like screen recording um, to look at what a user's doing. And you know one of the things that's often said about user testing is that you're looking at what users are doing rather than what they're saying. Obviously, that doesn't work for this because they are they are saying, um, but what they're saying is what they're doing, so it's quite <laughs> confusing. Um, and so it means that some of the things that will be different are you can't use, uh, you know, one of the things that we rely on is uh, Think Aloud, um, where we'll be getting a user to talk through their pro- their thought processes as they're going through tasks. Can't do that because they're, they're talking. Um, but you can use retrospective Think Aloud where you just talk to them after and um, play back parts of the session to them and say, you know, what were you, what were you thinking at this time? And, um, you know, what was the confusion at this point? Um, but in terms of the actual how you'd run a session, it's actually remarkably similar because what you do with user testing is you set a, you know, you, you come up with a set of predetermined tasks um, that you'd like a user to complete. And you can do that with, with a voice first device. You can tell a, a user, you know, you'd like them to find out the weather for Friday or you'd like them to order a new. Uh, I don't know, something off Amazon, or you'd like them to uh, change the temperature in, 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 a, in a home, or whatever the task is. Obviously, there's, there's a huge array of different things that you could be testing with this kind of device. But you, you can just, you can do that. And, you know, what we do in our use testing is we, we film the screen, we also film the room. So we'll, we'll get footage of, of the user typically talking to me. Um, so you can still capture that. Um, so a lot of the the the, the process um, is can be very very similar, and I think one of the the interesting things I touched on it earlier, but I think uh, there's there's always a question about whether you should be testing new users or existing users, and I think it will be really interesting to both test people who who have these kinds of devices in their home um, and have a kind of like pre-existing knowledge of how to interact with them but also to test people who have never used one before um, so are coming to it completely kind of with no background knowledge of how to activate a skill with something like Alexa and looking at well how do these people work out how this kind of technology works because there's obviously a lot less you can rely on um, to guide a user because it's literally a black circle on a, <laughs> on a desk and it you know they they've done a good job Alexa I mean I've got an Alexa so I know that that device best but it, it does a good job with you know they use the lights to to help um, a user know when when Alexa is listening when Alexa is on when Alexa is processing uh, uh, your your request um, but in terms of under, for a user to understand what they can do with this kind of device, it's actually really hard because it's there's there's no kind of visual information to tell them this is what you can ask, this is what this is how you can interact with this device, and that's that's one of the problems um, with these devices being pitched as these really sophisticated things, because there's um, there's research which shows that for voice uh, personal uh, assistance for voice voice assistance that as they become more human-like or appear more human-like they actually become a lot less usable the usability of them drops away dramatically because people are less uh, have less of an understanding of actually how to interact with them they don't understand what you know how much these devices can can replicate human conversation and once these 
kinds of devices have moved away from just a simple set of commands. You know, like when you think about how when cars first brought in hands-free uh, voice calling, and that's a very simple. Um, they only understood very, very precise, simple commands. So it was quite easy to understand. I mean, they worked terribly, but it was quite easy to understand what you could ask this thing. Whereas with these things, it's they're pitched as this fantastic personal assistant which is going to be able to solve all sorts of problems for you and it therefore becomes difficult to know well what can I ask it what what can I actually do with it and and how what are the limits of how I can interact with it mm. yeah presumably once it starts becoming something that can deal with a, a more rounded conversation rather than saying Alexa what's the weather which is a very short very concise there's only a few ways that you can ask that question isn't there really but yeah as soon as it gets more complex then yeah it does get a lot more challenging yeah it just um it just does create a bit of frustration for people when they uh, are using it and think they're asking simple requests i mean i i i tweeted something a while ago where i'd asked uh, i mean it's not a voice first device but i asked siri on my apple watch to uh i'd wanted to set a timer um but i actually i actually said set an alarm so i said siri set an alarm for eight o'clock but mid-sentence I said Siri set an alarm uh, no sorry set a timer for for 10 minutes and it it didn't pick up on that It, it just still set an alarm and it's 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 that kind of stuff and it's the the fact that you know you you ask it one question and then you want to follow that up with something else but you have to keep saying its name to keep keep the conversation going and it just doesn't it doesn't work in the way that a natural human conversation would yeah yeah so that that would presumably create more challenges in terms of testing something if if the session can't be kind of contained you've got to keep on kicking it kind of back off again is is there any um, I've kind of discussed a few of the challenges there in terms of the comparison between uh, the new users and old users I've seen the, the other posts that you did in terms of should you use a test with, with new people or, or kind of uh, existing customers that's kind of going to be amplified tenfold isn't it on a voice first device Absolutely, absolutely. And I think um, it's it's exactly the same sort of thing. One of the things that you really get from testing new people is you just get such insight into people's first experience of this sort of thing. And, you know, you, you really learn a lot about how you should be guiding people and how you should be creating that initial understanding because one of the things we always find is that if things aren't clear people can go down completely the wrong path in their 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 understanding of what this this thing is for um and then testing existing users can be can be obviously incredibly insightful for understanding how you improve on what they they already use this kind of thing for and making sure that you're not you know damaging the experience that's already there for them making sure you're improving it and not removing stuff that um, they actually use and rely on which you might be removing from the from the system without um, really realizing mm-hmm. so how how kind of early or late or at what stage would you recommend testing a voice first whether it's an app or or a voice first kind of project at what stage throughout the development would you kind of recommend to start testing Mm, yeah, so I think this is another really interesting one for voice-first devices as well because one of the this, the great things about being able to test a, 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 G, a GUI, a graphical user interface, is that obviously you can test early-stage prototypes, um, whereas I don't know how much of that, that process there is for voice-first stuff because obviously the, the, the only way that it works is, is, is through voice and... I don't know how much prototyping goes into that um, and how mu- if there is a big difference in how you initially program something like that compared to how you do for the final product. Um, I think one of the things that we'll see come in for use testing this kind of stuff is um, some Wizard of Oz testing where you simulate it. So instead of programming um, the, a new skill for Alexa, you, you simulate that. Um, and you have someone who literally sits on the other end of a phone or something and has a very precise script to replicate what that would be like for a user 
um, you know, replicating as if they are Alexa or whatever the, the system is and, and testing that. Um, that obviously has limitations, but I think that will be the way that people will test this kind of stuff um, from an early stage. Mm-hmm. So what kind of... Um what kind of setup does it take then to, I mean, you mentioned a few times uh, earlier on in terms of, you know, you will, you'll obviously presumably need the actual device in there to do some sort of testing. And you, you kind of spoke about recording the room and all that kind of stuff. So when you're approaching a, a user testing session of a, a voice first device, what, what setup are you using? Yeah. So I think it would be, um, it's, it will be simpler than when you're doing uh, testing on a on a laptop or a, a mobile phone or anything like that because you you've removed the need to to screen capture or do any of that so it would be a case of making sure you've got obviously great audio so you can um, properly hear the conversation both between the user and the researcher and obviously the user and the uh, the voice first device mm-hmm. um, so that's, that's that's audio that you you're recording so you record the the full session yeah yeah absolutely um i mean we we always do that we always record the the full session um so we have great audio and video that we can re-watch and look back over and fully assess um i mean when we're running user testing i'll always write initial notes after the session of things that i've thought have been particularly interesting um but we always spend a lot of time re-watching all of the footage and that's when you really start to notice uh similarities between the user testing sessions with different users you start to notice patterns where everyone's experiencing the same sort of problems and those are typically the sort of things which are the most important to fix um so yeah, for a, for a vo- testing a voice first device, it would be a case of setting up a room. So you're sat down with a user, you're filming the room, and you're also capturing audio, um, as I say, of of the whole the conversations between the user and the voice first device, and the user and the researcher, and that's that's basically all you'd need to do it. Mm-hmm. And how how many um, kind of how many times would you need to test something? So how many people would you need to test it with in in order to get a a decent understanding of, of whether this, this thing's working or not? Again, I think that's a real unknown because what we is talked about a lot and uh, we, we mention it on our own website is, is this idea with uh, testing websites and digital, uh, you know, more, more traditional digital products like apps and software that um, this, this kind of golden rule of five users um, is a is a good number. It's a good rule of thumb for kind of uh, uncovering a lot of the the user issues with a with a product. That that in itself does have uh, certain limitations. Um, you know, from a research side, like I always I always try and make sure I, I say that you know that can massively depend on what the what the product is and how many different user journeys there are and how many different user groups there are for that particular product. But but still, it's it's a good um, it's a really good kind of first. Uh, it's just something good to rely on for testing. Um, it's it's a nice round number that um, is really good for encouraging um, people, clients who've maybe never done this kind of thing before. It's a really good accessible thing to get them actually doing this kind of research around their their, their product. Um, but you know that that golden rule of of five users was based on some research by Nielsen in you know probably 20 years ago now um and that i don't know how much that would translate to a voice first device um i would think that for starters it's a it's a a good place to start and you'd you'd do a a similar sort of thing um but it would be it would be interesting to to look at you know how many how many users do you really need to be testing in order to pick up all of the issues that you could have with this kind of thing because in a lot of ways it's a lot more simple than uh, a visual interface and there's a much more um reduced and rigid way that a user can interact with it so in a lot of ways um maybe you don't need as many users but then obviously the complexities of human conversation the way that people can ask stuff and can interact with it can be a lot more varied than the ways that people can click on a screen and can interact with uh you know an interface of a visual interface so i don't know it'll be really interesting to see see if people can kind of work that out Mm, that's a really interesting point actually in terms of 
um, the the different ways that people will say stuff and ask stuff. So presumably, I mean, potentially, you would need to test with quite a lot of people because by doing that kind of testing, presumably you'll then learn what kind of voice commands people are actually using for you yeah. then to build in the responses yeah. within the application yeah. for. Yeah, I think that's just that is one of the biggest challenges for this, isn't it? There's there's a, a crazy amount of ways that people can can ask stuff and can say stuff, and how do you how do you account for that? Do you um, create uh, limitations for the system that users can easily uh, see and can easily understand, so they know how to ask certain questions and understand that it's not going to know. Uh, and understand other ways that they've said stuff or do you build incredibly sophisticated technology that can pick up all of the the different subtle ways that people are going to be asking stuff mm. that's interesting that is interesting stuff um so you mentioned in terms of five 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 users to test like five kind of people um i would imagine it wouldn't be such a stretch, I don't suppose, to find five people who would... Because in the usability testing I've done in the past, it's always the difficult part has always been getting people, getting hold of people to actually to come in and do the kind of testing. So um, how how would you go about recruiting users for, mm-hmm. this, for this kind of testing? In exactly the same way that we do for all of our other use testing, to be honest. So what we do is we will uh, spend a lot of time with our clients, uh, speak to them about who their key customers are, um, who you know if they've got personas then that's a fantastic place to look for that kind of stuff if they haven't we'll start to look at uh, analytics data of people who are using their website um, or whatever their product is and um, from that we'll then develop a very uh, detailed screener um, of exactly the types of people who we want to be testing making sure that they are representative of the types of people who would be using this this product or you know sometimes it's people who uh, the client would like to be using this product but for whatever reason they're not getting a lot of people you know of that that type who are their customers um, but yeah it's a case of making sure that you, you you're really drilling into the 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 demographics of the the, the representative um, you know customers. Um, so for for voice first devices, if you are testing a particular skill, if you're testing a you know something for a particular um, product, a particular service, um, you're going to be doing very much the same. You're going to be looking at you know who are the the target people for this this kind of this kind of thing. And I think. Um, one of the the really interesting things from my perspective is I, I've been reading only this week about the potential that uh, these kinds of devices could have for uh, elderly people, um, elderly people who maybe don't have the dexterity or don't have the the eyesight or don't have the the confidence or the knowledge to use um, mobile phones to use tablets and are currently very cut off from the digital world. Um, how we could leverage voice first technology to really help them um, because it's a it's a much more simple in theory it's a much more simple way of interacting with something um, so you know that the, there may be a case of companies realizing that they can access that older generation um, through creating uh, you know their own application for uh, devices like Alexa um, that might be a way of accessing an older population who currently don't don't use the 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 service um, via more traditional means like a website or an application. I think that's a that's going to be a really interesting area to see if um, it is something that is used in in the older population. Because before I'd read about that stuff, it's not really something I'd really thought about. Um, I think this is something that is currently used by very tech savvy people who are uh, interested in new technology and are keen to to buy into it. But actually, maybe the real use cases for this kind of technology are more for people who can't use um, more traditional means of, you know, using digital technology such as phones and computers. Um, so I think that's going to be really interesting. Yeah, there's a, there's also uh, <clears throat> an accessibility. Well, that I suppose that is included in accessibility. That that's kind of you know for people who you know maybe maybe kind of whether it's uh, an or below kind of average reading age that, that find it difficult to navigate websites or you know people that are uh, blind or or what have you. I suppose that there is there is a, a whole new kind of um, group of uh, lots of new groups of people who will then potentially be a benefit from this kind of technology. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And I don't think that is the focus at the moment for you know the big companies, Amazon, Google, etc. Um, but I think as this technology becomes more available and becomes something that people are really starting to think about how we leverage, I think that that will be a major thing. It will be about um, you know creating improved accessibility for people and for you know using it as an alternative means for people who can't use uh, phones. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Uh, before we wrap up, then, uh, what what kind of what kind of advice would you give? Um, we mentioned earlier about companies who do their own might do their own research and maybe they might be biased or what have you. But if if you know if if, if it's a kind of like a company that doesn't necessarily have the budget to go out and, and to, to, to kind of procure some usability testing or whatever, what kind of advice would you give? Or even just somebody developing a skill at, at home that wants to see whether or not they're on the right lines. What kind of advice would you give for people who are who are doing this kind of thing for the for the first time? Uh, do you mean specifically in voice first kind of world? Yeah. Or? yeah. For, for for voice first predominantly, yeah. Or does it even does it even differ? Um, I, I mean, it, I'd give the same advice across the board. Really, I think that although you know what I've said is that you can get a lot of value out of being an independent company, um, you should never underestimate the value that comes from just testing uh, this your your product with users. Um, as long as you appreciate the limitations that come with testing, you know, if, you, if you're just going around your office and you're testing people with that, um, you, as long as you appreciate the limitations that there might be with that kind of thing, um, you can still get so much value out of it. And it's so important to not develop and design things in a vacuum and, you know, to appreciate that people don't have the same perspective and the same understanding and the same background knowledge as you do. And it is impossible for, I really do think it's impossible for a designer to, uh, you know, completely understand and appreciate the all of the users that they are designing that thing for. And I just don't think that designing in a vacuum is, uh, is the best way to approach things. And um, so, the, the the advice I'd give is that this is testing users is such a valuable thing and no matter how limited that is it is so interesting and so uh, eye-opening to do and it can just really really change your perspective and really make you think about okay I really thought this was clear actually we just need to make this subtle change that's going to really make a difference in how people understand and interpret this. Yeah, fantastic. Well, thank you very much, Sam. Before we go, where can people kind of get in touch with you and, and find out more about Userify uh, and all that stuff? Yeah, so uh, you can find me on Twitter at, um, at Sam Howard uh, with an underscore at the end. Um, Userify, uh, the Userify website is userify.co.uk. Uh, so you can find information there about about us and about a bit more about me and a bit more about my my co-founder Phil, um, and yeah, that's that's probably the best place to find me. Cool, wicked. Thank you very much, Sam. So that was Sam. That was a super interesting conversation. I really appreciate Sam taking the time out of his schedule uh, to speak to us about usability testing. Quite a lot of unanswered questions in terms of, in general, the whole industry, in terms of how we go about doing this sort of testing. So it's going to be really interesting to see how this unfolds. I'm going to be following Sam over the next few months because Userify sounds like an incredibly useful and fantastic agency. Can't wait to see how they get on usability testing voice-first devices. And I'd love to get Sam back on the show again in a few months' time to see whether he's developed any of his learning and Userify developed any of their learning in terms of how to go about doing this user testing stuff because it is, as Sam said, absolutely crucial. Thank you for joining us on episode two. Episode three will be along very shortly, so stay tuned. There we go. Thank you very much for joining us, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and until next time, see you later. <laughs>